welcome to a special edition of a sporting discussion. With the AFL draft upon us this week, we thought that it was a good opportunity to revisit an interview that we conducted recently with Dom Malisi, the National Recruiting Manager for Collingwood Football Club in the AFL. He talks to us about the work of the recruiting team and what they get up to in the lead up to the National Draft. Dom Malisi, welcome to a sporting discussion. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. As the national recruiting manager for the Collingwood Football Club in the AFL, do you want to give us a bit of a rundown of what that role entails? Yeah, of course. So basically, my role is probably what you call the old-fashioned talent scout. So really um, just travelling around Australia, trying to identify uh, potential players for the future for Collingwood, uh, both at under-18s level, but also mature age guys as well in the state leagues. And how did you get into that? It's a, a bit of a niche role, really. Yeah, well, I was probably um, pretty lucky. I worked out pretty long, pretty early on that I wasn't going to uh, make it as a footballer. I wasn't <laughs> very good at that. So um, basically, uh, I started volunteering down at Fox Hill back in 2001. Um, in fact, I can actually remember watching Sam Mitchell play his first game in the reserves, wearing number 58, <laughs> uh, a long time ago. Uh, and did, then did I you think of, he was any good then? I actually, I did. I said, oh. How, how's this guy not uh, <laughs> been a bit better? I didn't think he'd go on to be as quite as good as that. But <laughs> <laughs> he was certainly far too good for VFL reserves level. Um, so basically then for the next two to three years, I um, – did off my own bat. So I'd go and watch under-18 games, um, take my own notes, um, and really just sort of practice myself. Um, and then sort of late 2004, early 2005, Gary Bacanara rang me and said, would you like to come work part-time at Hawthorne? Um, which obviously was a bit of a dream for me growing up, mad Hawthorne supporter. Um, used to go every week. So then uh, I went along and sort of – I basically still had a normal job so I worked there um, on weekends um, and did that for a few years, also did a bit of opposition analysis. And then in 2008, uh, Collingwood approached me and um, I was a bit surprised at the time. Um, my mum certainly wasn't too pleased when I told her I'm thinking of going across there. I think her, <laughs> I think her exact words were, well, you're going to be out of the will. Um, <laughs> I love but, cl- classic Melbourne family. Yes, that's right. But uh, to be honest, it was the best decision I ever made because, um, I mean, they were really good to me from the moment I joined. And uh, after two years of being there part-time, I got offered a full-time role in 2010. So basically, I'd done sort of nine years of part-time and volunteer work whilst holding down a normal job before I got an opportunity, um, which is sort of how a lot of people have to break into the industry because it's a very hard uh, thing to get into. Yeah, it's good to hear a lot of the blood, sweat and tears paying off. Um, yeah. Dom, what, what's, what sort of resources do you have for your recruiting at Collingwood? Uh, what sort of team do you have around you or above you or under you? Yeah, so basically we've got Derek Hine, who is uh, the general manager of list management. So he sort of does a lot of the dealings in terms of player contracts, trading and the like. And then um, myself, Matthew Rendell and Adam Shepard, we're the full-time recruiting staff. Uh, so we've got four, which is actually one of the the smaller teams across the AFL. Um, some of the others run with sort of seven or eight or nine. Um, 
So, and then, but then we've got about 15 to 16 part-time staff scattered across Australia, and they're probably the unsung heroes, I reckon, sort of in the uh, football industry because they do all the uh, hard yards going to the games in the country that we can't get to. Um, a lot of them, have, they've all got normal jobs. They work Monday to Friday, and they really just do it for the love of footy, um, you know, and they're really good football people, all different backgrounds, but they just love what they do. So we really... We rely very heavily on them to be sort of our eyes and ears on the ground because we can't be everywhere at once. And how many games approximately a year would those, you know, those part-timers go along and watch? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I'll probably, for those guys that are working two days a week, I mean, they could if they go to double headers and stuff like that, they'd be doing 60 to 70 games a year, I'd say, if they're doing practice games and the like. Yeah, right. Um Whereas for us, we'd probably be up over 100, I reckon, once you start including, um, you know, uh, pre-season games, school games midweek. Um, I reckon I did a count one year and it was well over 100, but I've sort of given up after that because wow. uh, a lot of the time you're only at a game for two quarters or three quarters and then you're rushing off to the next one. So it's um, it's pretty hard to actually keep an accurate count of how many games you attend each year. <laughs> Well, that leads nicely into my next question, which is you're going to all of these games or you're attending a half or something like that. Um, when's the draft? I think it's the 25th, yep. 25th of yes. November. Yep. Um, so yep. outside of being at the game or being in the draft, what sort of work goes in outside of hours, so to speak? Yeah, yeah no. So basically to give a rundown of our basic week, um, sort of Monday we all gather in the office um, and we go through where we were on the weekend because usually one or two of us have travelled interstate. Um, we'll run through the stats from every competition in Australia um, and then we'll, we'll chat it to our part-time staff. And then we'll, we've got a big board like every club probably does and we'll move magnets around and chat about <laughs> different things. And then um, that sort of takes up nearly all of Monday. We organise any travel we might have to do for the upcoming week. Uh, and then on Tuesday, the vision arrives at Champion Data. So we go down and pick that up. And that's basically 50 games across Australia a week of vision from every comp. Um, so I'm talking Waffle, Sample, VFL, AFL, Tech Cup. And it's all coded by player. And then... Um, Sort of basically most of Tuesday, Wednesdays, watching edits of players that we might not have seen a lot of or guys that are getting recommended. Um, so there's a lot of sitting in front of the computer watching watching footy. Um, and then sort of Thursday is nominally your day off, but often you do a bit at home or you might have to go out and interview a potential player. Uh, and then Fridays usually pick up a bit more vision or you um, – either travel in a state for footy or you go watch school footy when that's on. And then the weekend rolls around again. <laughs> and, but you, you say that you get the vision of, you know, like 50 or 60 games and then you watch specific players. Do you find that you can see different things in a player watching them on your laptop as opposed to watching them at the, the ground or vice versa? Uh, yeah, you can, definitely. Um, I think there's never any substitute for watching a player live. Um I know, like, I mean, people love the movie Moneyball and I think it's a great film and stats are a very important part of our job, particularly for me coming from an economics background. But I also love there's a Clint Eastwood movie called The Trouble with the Curve. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about a baseballer and it basically the, the scout's going blind, but he can pick up the guy who won't um, be able to handle playing major league because he can't hit the curveball. 
Um, and so I think that's the important side of it as well. You really have to go and watch them live and see what their running patterns are like, um, you know, what they're like at the breaks, at the huddles, in the warm-up. Um, they probably don't think we're watching them at those times, but we are. See how a kid reacts when he gets dragged. Um, how, how important are those aspects? Because that's obviously going to be something that you – like in the past, people looked at you know, your, your playing ability, whereas now it's a lot about the like the mental aptitude of the, the players and their ability to respond to, to various situations and various instructions. So do you think that that's changed over time, the fact that you, you watch people at the huddle and, you know, on the bench just to see how they react? Oh, massively. Yeah, it's it's really changed even from when I started a few years ago in terms of we really have to know what the learning style of the kid is, what type of coaching is going to work well for him. Um, obviously, AFL footy is so structured and uh, most of the kids are coming out of a competition where they're really encouraged to play. They don't actually have much structure in terms of their setups. And we, we prefer that because we can just assess them on their playing ability. But then the uh, issue is they come in and they have to sort of learn then how to adapt to whatever game style that particular team's playing. So um, we have to do a lot of assessment on their psychological makeup. Um, I mean, we've got a psych employed that sort of helps us with that. But um, a lot of it's too, just speaking to people, coaches, teammates, school teachers, his, um, his boss at work, get a bit of a feel for them that way. Um, just to take it up a few age brackets, to a player that's already in the AFL system uh, that you might want to uh, get your hands on, what's the process for that? Is it, is it much different at all? Um, not particularly. Like certainly we've got an online reporting system and every player is in there whether they're on an AFL list or TAC Cup. So I can put a report in on a player who's in the AFL system just like I can an under-18 kid. Um, usually we start targeting guys a fair way out. So um, it's not like sort of you get to trade pure and go, oh, gee, that guy will be handy for us or that guy will be good. Like Adam Trelaw, we did an enormous amount of work in him in terms of watching him basically for 12 months in the lead-up um, before we started negotiating with GWS. Um, but in terms of the actual negotiations with the player managers and the like, that's more Derek's role. I'll probably just go to the games and uh, and say, yeah, this is how we played. And then obviously with the um, AFL guys too, that's probably something the coach gets a little bit more invested in than the under-18 players. I was going to, to touch on the coaching aspect because obviously the, the coaches don't see as many games as, as you guys do, but that would still, I imagine, have a bit of an influence on the type of player that's drafted or maybe even the specific player that's drafted. What sort of influence does the coach have? Yeah, I remember when I started, um, with Mick Malthouse was a coach at the time, and he had a saying, let the baker bake the bread. And um, Bucks is of a similar opinion that really – they're there to coach, we're there to recruit. They don't get to know these kids like we do. They haven't been watching them for three years. They might get to see them live once and watch a bit of vision. So they don't tend to get too involved in saying you should pick this player or that player. Um, they might be saying, look, we probably need another midfielder or we need another key back. Um, but I think these days too with free agency and uh, the ability to take mature age rookies and the trade period being a lot more open, you can probably balance up your list in other ways. It's not so reliant on the draft as it probably once was. Um, so there's a list management committee 
committee that meets sort of once every fortnight um, to go through where the list's at and what the holes are. And we try and address those in a variety of ways. It's not just sort of based on, well, we need this, so we'll just get it in the draft. Uh, and so I guess just further to that, you, it's not necessarily the uh, best player available as it were. It may well be the best player in a certain position that you will go harder at. Would that, is that fair to say? Yeah, that's right. I think like everyone likes to say they get to pick the best player available and in an ideal world you would, um, particularly early on. I think that's what tends to happen. But I, I do think as the draft opens up and it becomes very even as, as you get later on, um, I think clubs do start going a bit more towards needs. Um, and when we try to balance that out a bit, we certainly wouldn't pick five Ruckman in the national draft or anything like that. But at the same time, you've got to be careful that you're not reaching too much for a particular type of player. So we we really make sure we know what the depth is in each position and um, we won't go overboard and pick a player 20 positions higher on the list just because he's a key forward or a key back. And speaking of the, you know, taking a player based on, you know, the, the position or based on their individual abilities. There's another element to it that, you know, as I'm a Hawthorne supporter as well, the point in time of the club compared to a premiership in 2007 – Hawthorne took Stuart Jew in the draft instead of taking David Zaharakis, who was told that they were, you know, tossing up between those two. And that was, you know, a, a call which 12 months later, 10 months later, came came to fruition with a, a premiership. So the where the actual club is in its, I guess, development stage would come into it as well, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. Now, I mean, as I said, it probably doesn't impact so much on the draft these days with free agency and probably clubs are now looking to more go down that path or the trade to top up if they really think they're close to a flag. Okay. Um, I cer- certainly know back in um, 08, 09, like obviously um, Collingwood traded a first round pick for Darren Jolly, um, who played a pretty important part in the premiership. And then they got Luke Ball in the draft um, at pick 30. Um, and obviously he played in the flag the next year as well. So it is certainly a factor but I think you've got to also keep in mind that a lot of the kids that we're talking about that are going to get drafted next week, realistically, they'll play their best footy in 2022 to 2024, which is, you know, a long, long way away <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, you're, when you're looking at potential premierships and stuff like that. So really, you're drafting for the future. I think you hope a guy will come in and have an impact the first year. But um, I think realistically – most of the kids will come in, they might play a bit of footy, but you're only going to get your Chris Judds and the like once every 10 years or so. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting that you said that because you, you've you landed at Collingwood at a very interesting time in 08 where they were right up there and contending. Um, what sort of mission are you given at that point where uh, there's a big chance of a premiership on the horizon, there's a big chance of sustained excellence? Uh, do you ignore basically the present and just look forward like you've just hinted? Yeah, I mean, you've just got to keep to a plan of sustained success. You don't want to say, all right, let's throw all the eggs in the basket of winning a flag next year and then whatever happens after that, we'll pick up the pieces. I mean, every player we pick, we've got a view that they're going to fit in to give us a sustained run at it over a several-year period. And that's certainly what we've been looking at the last three or four years. Like, obviously, we've regenerated the list 
quite a bit um, since Nathan's taken over. I mean, we're still in the bottom half for age and games played on average. Um, it's gone up a little bit the last uh, the last trade period, but we're, we're certainly um, confident that this this group that we've got together, we've got a really strong group between 20 and 24, and we think they're going to stick together for the next few years and provide a really sustained crack at the finals. All right. Uh, now, we do have the draft next week, and a lot of work has gone into it, obviously, from Collingwood. But today, uh, there's been a bit going on at Collingwood with Graham Allen being suspended. Um, and how's that? how does that impact on your uh, view ahead for the week? Yeah, well, uh, to be honest, it doesn't impact on our particular role a great deal. Um, because uh, whoever, whoever's been the footy manager while I've been there, and we've had a, a few now, um, you know, they don't get too involved in the day-to-day workings of the draft. So, you know, Gubby was great while he was there. But having said that, I actually, when I started, I've shared an office with Marcus Wagner, who's um, just taken over as the acting footy manager. And um, I think he's going to be great for it as well in terms of the challenge. Um, but in terms of the day-to-day stuff, it probably doesn't impact us as much, like, because the funny thing about recruiters are we're sort of in and out of the office so much, we're a bit removed from the rest of the footy department. <laughs> so a lot of the time there'll be meetings on and stuff. We don't know anything about it because we're in Perth or Adelaide. Um, so sometimes we can be the last to know what's going on. Well, you've got your yeah, grand final, Christmas, <laughs> Easter, birthday, everything all wrapped up coming up this week. We're not going to be cheeky enough to ask who Collingwood have their eye on for with their picks. But just before we go, if we can get one player that you've been disappointed to to miss that that you missed out on and one player that you've been really pleased that you've picked up maybe someone who wasn't perhaps on anyone else's radar who's turned into a really good player well one player is disappointed well Dyson Heppel was probably the best interview I've done in my time since I've been Mm full-time um and I mean our our first pick was 45 that year so we probably (laughs) knew he wasn't going to get to (laughs) get to there but I, I just we just knew uh, – we interviewed him in February, I reckon, of that year, and um, we didn't see him again because we just said, oh, he's an absolute no-brainer of a kid. Yep. The next time we saw him was actually at the draft, and he came up and he remembered every recruiter's name, shook our hands, said, oh, I hope you guys were really happy. I hope it goes well for you. And you could just tell, like, he was going to be not only a great player but just a great a great leader around whatever club that got him. That's impressive. So, um, yeah. Uh, and then in terms of the other part of the question, well, probably one – that we took last year was Josh Smith from Redlands. Um, probably our stats analyst, Michael O'Loughlin, should take a fair bit of the credit there. He sort of um, – he was running his running the numbers through his sheets and he, he kept pushing him up saying, look, this guy's going really well on all our metrics in the NEFL. Um So then we went up and watched him and he, he played quite well. You know, it's probably not as well covered as the VFL or some of the other comps. He was 22. He'd been through the system. He just slowly improved. Uh, so Derek and I went out and interviewed him sort of a month before the draft, and he was that hungry for an opportunity. Like, he was just desperate. Um, he was working in childcare. He, he just really wanted to – he was a fantastic person. just really wanted to take whatever opportunity came. So we, we walked out and we said, we've got to give this kid a chance. So we took him second round of the rookie draft, Um and he played 18 games in debut and finished seventh in our best and fairest. That's, so, yep, that, that's good, pretty good handy. Get, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I, I think he's going to have a really long career. And they're, they're the ones that probably, you know, you, you get happy with every player you pick. But um, 
probably the ones that have really done it the hard way. Like even someone like Sam Dwyer, he was overlooked mm-hmm. in eight drafts before we took him in as a rookie. Um, you know, he only played 45, 50 games, so they were pretty good ones. And I think he'd look back and say, look, I, at least I got a chance and I played okay AFL footy. Mm. That's probably what, what you like to see, that at least everyone that you picked, they gave it their best shot. Absolutely. Well, Don Malisi, thank you very much for joining us here on a sporting discussion. Good luck at the draft next week. Hopefully there's a couple of Dyson Heppels and uh, and young Smith and Dwyers that you can, you know, pick up there and good luck for yes, for the upcoming year. No worries. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it.